Hey everybody, welcome to episode 169 of the Masterclass Podcast. My name is Cam and I am joined by Dave Hogue. What's up? Hello. Welcome to the show yet again. It's good to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were just talking that you have a big day tomorrow. Oh, yes. Yes. Tomorrow is my <laughs> 34th birthday. Not when you're listening to this, but when we're recording it. Yes. Tomorrow I turn 34. The big three, four, Dave. And it's not uh, an important birthday by any milestone, but it does make me feel old, which is weird because I've been yeah. young for most of my life. <laughs> Slowly creep in the other direction. Yeah. And I can hear my mom, you know, and people her age saying, you're not old. You're so young. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I'd love to be 34 again. Yeah. You know, my mom turned 60 this year, so she has a different perspective on these things. Right. But when you're at the point where you're the one turning 34, it's like, how, how did it happen? Yeah. How, how did I get here? And, and obviously the, the answer is you stayed alive long enough to get here. Like, <laughs> nothing special I did other than just, you yes. know, keep on breathing. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like, you know, every year kind of up to about 25 I was like looking forward to every birthday and being a year older. And then it was kind of in the late twenties. It was like, okay, things need to slow down. This yeah. is going really <laughs> fast. I'm not supposed to be on the other side of the hill yet. I shouldn't be moving this quickly. Yeah. It's, you know, yes. it'll be fun. I think uh, I'm going out to lunch with some friends. Um, but other than that, just another day. This is true. Health insurance probably gets to charge me a little bit more after tomorrow. <laughs> Another day. All right. What do you want to talk about tonight? We started Hebrews last week, so I assume we should we'll probably continue, continue that. that one. Yeah. We made it through the first four verses last episode, which were primo, as we discussed last week. Just really, really good stuff. Um, and then what we're going to read today... It's the rest of chapter one, and it's, well, I won't say what it is. Why don't we just read it, and then we can go from there, please. Absolutely. So if for some reason this is the first time you've listened with us or we haven't said so in a while, we, we do read from the uh, ESV English Standard. Is that right? I mean, I, I refer to it as the extra sexy version cause they have like <laughs> literally 200 different styles that you can get the Bible in, which say what you will about that. I have opinions, not all great, but I just, yeah. English standard is my preferred translation. Yeah. So if you're wanting to follow along in that manner, that's where we're at. So starting with verse five. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes the angels winds, and he ministers a flame of fire. 
But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? All right, so as a point of reference, I guess, uh, verse 4 says, having become as much superior to angels as the name, he has inherited as more excellent than there. So the author is is comparing Jesus to angels and, and the difference between them. Why he's doing this, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it seems pretty obvious to me that Jesus and angels are different, but apparently it's, I think, pretty safe to assume that the people he's writing to maybe were a bit confused about this or had some uh, interesting beliefs that he was trying to uh, set straight or correct. Um, otherwise, this seems like a really odd way to open a book. So he he's comparing Jesus' son to angels. And I mean, his first argument, right? Which mm-hmm. What angel did God ever say that you're my son? Mm-hmm. Well, none that we know of. And obviously, like, from where we're sitting, this all seems, like, pretty rhetorical, right? Right. Because we know Jesus, not an angel. Angels, not Jesus. This isn't even, like, a square rectangle issue. You know, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. This is this is apples and oranges. Just two totally different things. Do you ever wonder how some of those sayings get started? Like, how did comparing apples <laughs> to oranges become the go-to phrase English is I mean it's not, I know it's not just English it has funny sayings like that but mm-hmm. just it's peculiar that for some reason like why not pineapples and pears <laughs> or fish and bears like the the, the amount of <laughs> the amount of things you could use but it's just I don't know I, I whenever I hear those phrases I always wonder like why that one yeah and why not, you know, 75 other variations of the same concept? So anyways, Jesus and angels. Uh, angels, not G- God's son. Jesus, yes, God's son. Uh, or again, I will be to him a father, and he should be my son. So he's simultaneously differentiating the angels from Jesus while also affirming that Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, is also God's son, which is a huge mm-hmm. claim, right? That's the, that's what got Jesus murdered. A lot of the yeah. other stuff just really upset the Pharisees or frustrated them or they didn't know how to handle it and they were mad because he was cramping the style that they become accustomed to. The one thing that got him killed <laughs> was him insisting that he could forgive sins and that he was the son of God. And so mm-hmm. the author here is is differentiating Jesus from angels in in different ways, but he starts out by making the claim that Jesus is the son of God, that God has called him son and begotten him. 
and he will he will compare them and uh, contrast them in different ways. But I think it's interesting and important that the way he leads is with the divinity of Jesus. And that's something that would not be lost on the people that he's writing to. Now, we talked last week about who that possibly could be a little bit, um, whether it's Jews or Gentiles or some mix in between. Claiming to be the Son of God is essentially the same as claiming to be God. Mm -hmm. And so leading off with that, especially in addition to... um, him starting the letter by saying, you know, God spoke to our fathers, the prophets or by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So he's starting it there and he's reaffirming it just a few verses later that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Um, and so it's, it's a bold start to a letter and I can appreciate that. Yes. Then he goes on again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And so we see, Again, a a, a bit of a difference here, right? The angels are told to worship God. And when we see scenes of heaven or the throne room, you know, in scripture, it's full of angels, you know, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty consistently. They're there to serve and worship. And, you know, who's not there to serve and worship is Jesus. Why? Because he's sitting, as we'll see in a bit later, at the right hand of the throne. Also mm-hmm. being worshipped. And this verse 7 is interesting to me. I don't know if you have thoughts on it. It says, uh, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Yeah. You betcha. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so... That is Psalm 104.4. And this is, this is, so as I read this and looked at these different verses, um, there's quite a few that come from this, the Psalms. And this one is Psalm 104.4. And, I, you know, I'm going to just say I'm very ignorant when it comes to all this because like I don't completely understand how they know that the, um like this how does the author know to apply these verses in this way you know and and I think it's a cultural thing one I think they read the old testament and the bible much differently than we do and yeah and certainly I don't, had I don't think it's much different in practice than you and me quoting movies in a give hmm. in a given circumstance, right? Like mm-hmm. if there's if there's a really you know awkward statement, a lot of us will go. Well, that's what she said, quoting <laughs> The Office, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a contextual situation that reminds us of something that is pithy or funny. Whereas this is this is instead of pithy or funny, it's a scriptural reference to prove the point that he's trying to make. And sure, you know they didn't have The Office back then or Netflix or anything like that. Right. They had, they had the old Testament and stories. And so I don't, I don't think it's in practice any different than us quoting movies or song lyrics, just the, the intent of what he's doing is obviously different. Yes. That's my guess. I don't know. But so, but, but even in that, I mean, 
what a what an obscure verse to <laughs> to pull out in terms of you know he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire i don't i don't even know that i know what that means yeah you know yeah we'll have to leave that one up for uh but but i think i, I think there was a little bit more in terms of like you know, if for the author to quote this, he had, she maybe had mm. to be familiar with the scripture and this verse certainly had some meaning to it that, you know, I don't know, maybe it's something that they said when, <laughs> when, when we, when they talked about angels. So do any of the verses leading up to it in Psalm 104 give us hints so 104 begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering, your, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. And it goes on down. But then like, uh, yeah, it's, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes, and it's interesting because this is still the ESV, but it, this reads, he makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so it should never be moved. You know, I mean, there's, there's definitely a sense of um, reverence, transcendence in terms of worshiping God and um, his role in the creation and the role of the created. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, that those verses to me just seem so (laughs) I'm just ignorant. So they just seem very random to me, which I I don't believe they are random. I should say it seems that way. I do not believe that to be true. I just, I wonder if like, cause you know, he sets his, uh, the clouds are his chariot and the heavens are his tent. Like there's this, this allegory between the spiritual and physical things. And so Mm -hmm. I wonder if by comparing angels and winds and ministers and fire, there's, the, the allegory is obviously continuing, but like the concept is, you know, winds go everywhere and you can feel them and you can see the effects of them, but you can't actually really see the wind. And, you know, fire is this thing that provides heat and, you know, the ability to cook food. And just, I wonder if the, you know, back then fire was probably like an ever present thing because, you know, no electricity, mm-hmm. no heating, right. no air, like, right. Like you need fire for light. You need fire to cook. You need fire for warmth. So it's yeah. a, it's a it's a element of survival, but also kind of an element of destruction. Um, and so I just wonder if there's this, and wind is also you know, you need it, but it could also be destructive. And so mm-hmm. this, this, this balance of like, you know, and here I'm literally just thinking out loud because as as we've said, we don't really know exactly what this means, but. If, if there's this allegory between spiritual and physical things, you know, the wind and the fire representing the angels could, you know, represent the angels 
protection in certain ways. Um, their role is serving us in living, but then also the, kind of the ferocity that mm-hmm. they have. Because the one thing I do know about angels in the Bible is every time they show up, what's the first thing out of their mouth? Do not be afraid. <laughs> do not like, be afraid. And <laughs> Yeah. They're not precious moments, babies. Nope. Um, if, if, if the first thing you have to say when someone sees you is do not be afraid, you're probably intimidating slash mm-hmm. terrifying or some combination thereof, right? Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. So, I don't know. That was a good out loud brainstorm sesh, Dave. <laughs> Kudos. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, um, so I, I'm just... One, I'm kind of, I think I mentioned earlier, kind of reading through the Bible over the course of two years and then also spending some time um, uh, focusing on the Gospels in my private time. And um, yeah, exactly that. Just this sense of when they show up, it is a high pucker factor. And um, people freak out. You know, and, and the other thing that I think is funny too, is like, like the one that's coming to my mind is in the book of Luke when, um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna draw a blank on his name. John the Baptist dad is the priest and he's burning Mm -hmm. the incense and, um, how, how frequently people don't believe the messengers of God when they get their message. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like this dual factor of like, clearly this is a, an imposing figure giving you this message, uh, you know, in context of, of spiritual people, chosen people, uh, people that God has, has viewed as, as worthy. And yet when they get the message from this imposing figure, they still are like, yeah, are you sure? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and then there's usually some sort of consequence because, they don't believe it or they laugh or whatever. So yeah. Like John um, the Baptist dad, not being able to talk for the whole pregnancy. Yeah. And then it's, you named him John. That's, you don't have anybody in the name John. And he says his name is John and he can speak again. So yeah, I will. So I will say the other thing I have, I came across too is, is on Netflix there's a word for word of all four gospels where there's kind of on, on Netflix on Netflix. So the gospel of Luke and it's, um, they're like three hours long, but they're like word for word Bible readings with actual video in the background and they don't overact. They don't, it's actually very well done. Um, and so I, I'll find myself going, okay, I need a break from the world for a little bit. Maybe I'll <laughs> watch some of the gospel of Luke or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, I don't have Netflix anymore. So, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner and got HBO instead. But I decided they're all like 15 bucks a month. I'll just rotate every couple months. Yeah, because you can kind of come to the end where you're like, oh, there's nothing really on here I want to well, watch. Yeah, and it's like, my other thing is like, do I really need to be watching this <laughs> much television? Yeah, oh, I know. Definitely. Like I have 
No wonder, holy crap, I'm already 34 because I've spent way too much time in the past <laughs> watching TV. Like, where did all the time go? Hmm, Netflix and HBO and Peacock and Amazon Prime and sports. Yes. <sighs> okay, quick aside. Did you watch the Tuscany Grand Prix yesterday, Dave? I did not, no. You need to find a way to watch it. Okay. It's awesome. <laughs> bonkers. Really? I won't tell you anything about it other than if I have anything to watch it on, but I'll I'll figure out a way. If not, I I have a way for you to do it. Okay. Um, It is. I think the most unique Grand Prix I've ever seen. So that was a quick aside. We mentioned sports and that came to mind. Uh, So carrying on uh, verse 80 says, but of the sun, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So we see, you know, God's angels worship him. He sends them around like winds and fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne is forever and ever. Like the, the, the place that you rule, sun, is eternal. The scepter of your kingdom is a brightness. You love righteousness um, and you've been anointed with the oil of gladness. So there's this differentiation in status and in uh, like um, space time being, right? God's mm-hmm. throne is eternal. Angels aren't. Or at least we're not told they are, right? Angels are God's messengers, God's ministers. Jesus is the son who sits on the throne for eternity. So again, differentiating, which is the whole point of this whole passage that we're talking about today. Uh, continuing, he says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So again, he's, he's placing Jesus at the beginning with God and giving Jesus the credit for laying the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens as well. And that all the things that Jesus has built will perish, but he will remain. Everything that he has made will change, but he will stay the same and his years have no end. So we're, we are so far down that Jesus divine path here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point where we were back at the beginning of creation where Jesus, and this is not the only place in the Bible where Jesus is said to have been with God in the beginning. John chapter one comes to mind mm-hmm. in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. And then it talks about the whole involvement of Jesus in the creation of all things and that he's the one that upholds it. There's places uh, like I believe in Colossians where it talks about how Jesus holds all things together um, in, in other places. Uh, Romans, I think, comes to mind as well. Chapter and verse are, of course, eluding me because, you know, I didn't go to Wawana enough as a kid, apparently. <laughs> but just we are we are marching down this path of Jesus being one of the Trinity and being intimately involved in 
everything that has ever happened, that he is eternal, that he does not change, that he is responsible for creating everything. And yeah, it's something that as I stumble over my words, I think sometimes it's hard or easy to forget that. Because like for me, it's really easy to think about Jesus, the guy that lived. And even that's kind of tricky, right? 2000 years, different culture, different time, different you know place on the planet. But it's easier to connect to the stories of Jesus because he was a dude and I'm a dude. Mm. And it's still hard though, because, you know, as it says later on in Hebrews, he was tempted like every other human yet without sin. You know, so even there, there's (laughs) massive discrepancies between, you know, how I have lived my life and how he lived his, but it's still a lot closer than, or it's it's a lot easier to relate to Jesus in the gospels than I think it is for us to relate to Jesus, the eternal being who created all. Oh yeah. Like that's a big jump. Um, but because it's easier to relate to Jesus, the man, I think sometimes, and to our detriment, we don't follow the thread like the author of Hebrews is doing here all the way to, you know, the big picture. And, you know, my, my thought is if I, if I remember that more correctly, then, then perhaps it would, you know, change the way I think and the way I act sometimes. But I also know that, that I also know this stuff and still, you know, act and think the way that I do. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this before in the show. We're like, man, the disciples were so stupid. Like if I was just alive, then I would have gotten it. Like I would have been, I would have totally gotten it. And I, and it's just hubris, right? It's just absolute hubris to think that Mm. if I was there, I wouldn't have denied, you know, Jesus three times like Peter did. I wouldn't have scattered when he got arrested and crucified. I wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. I wouldn't have been Judas and hung him out to dry for some gold or silver or whatever it was. But, Who's to say I wouldn't have? And luckily, I'll never have to know because I'm alive now and I don't have to worry about that. Yes. And then uh, at the end it says, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Now, I realize in today's language, that's kind of an obscure thing. But just think about practically what that means. Think of an enemy and what a footstool is. And think about back then, the fact that they wore sandals in nasty, sweaty, dirty (laughs) times, right? And that was the whole concept of of washing feet, right? Like only servants washed feet because it was so gross. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to make your enemy your footstool. Literally their job is to hold your dirty, gross, stinky feet on their backs until you're done with them. I mean, it may be a weird, it may be a weird thing to say, but like, think about what it would be like to be that person who's on his hands and knees waiting for you to be done having your dirty, nasty, stinky feet from resting on their body. And that's your mm-hmm. sole point of, ex- of, ex- of existence is to be that demoralized and that, um, punished, I guess the shame, right. That, that would go with that. And if you're if you're the footstool for someone who's sitting on the throne, 
that's a very public place of shame because the king does his business from the throne. Everybody would see it. Yes. It's like uh, some serious business, Dave. (laughs) But again, he's reiterating the place of power that Jesus occupies. Right. And two, I just think of, you know, it's, he is God. And I I think people, there are people in this world that would have an issue with that. Well, I'm not, I don't want to worship a God that's going to make his enemies his footstool. That's not loving. That's not, you know, and it's just, you know, there's a majesty to him. There's a, a power to him. There's, you know, and it's just, we, it's like, we don't want to acknowledge we don't want to acknowledge that we don't want to exist that way, but um, you know, we talked about people collapsing in fear at an, the side of an angel and just what, you know, again, we've talked about that before, just what, what it really means to be in God's presence. And uh-huh. um, yeah. So God is God and he doesn't need us making him into anything else. So this is true. And then he closes out uh, by saying, are they not all, they being angels, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I never really thought of angels um, existing to serve us as, you know, we are the ones mm-hmm. that are going to or have inherited salvation. Um it's an interesting concept that I think a lot of us that grew up in, you know, Protestant traditions have a lot less exposure to or vocabulary about or understanding of angels. And, you know, you, the more like uh, Eastern Orthodox and Catholic traditions, um, that's a lot more prevalent in their mm-hmm. vocabulary, in their liturgy, in their, um, in their tradition, obviously, you know, saints and that sort of stuff too. Um, but you know, as a, as a kid that grew up in the nineties and early two thousands, evangelical, you know, church, <laughs> non-denominational, we didn't really talk much about angels, what their role was, that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, I think for those that grew up in similar scenarios it's it's not something that we often talk about which is why i think this this whole passage is uh a bit interesting for me i don't think i've read this much about angels um maybe since college and that was because (laughs) i had to for like you know a certain discussion on something but yeah it's uh it's interesting and i i certainly appreciate what the author is you know doing by by differentiating angels the angels from Jesus and their roles and their purposes and their character and their qualities and frankly where they stand on you know the scale of eternal god and created being mhm it's always good to be reminded yeah uh, you know god is god and we are not 
Um, and I'm drawing, uh, Frank Peretti wrote books that dealt with books. that. And I can't remember what the name of the book, this present darkness, I think is the one I'm thinking of that really kind of that. And even, uh, the screw tape letters, um, you know, just, just, just referring back to what you were talking about in terms of, um, don't think I spent a lot of time thinking about what the role of an angel was. Um, especially not to the point where like, I mean, clearly from this letter, um, you know, it, it, there's an understanding as to who angels were and what they did for them to be a, you know, for, for you to compare something to something, you're doing it because people have an understanding or a knowledge about that thing. Yes, and Dave, so, let, let me compare cooking apple pie to quantum physics, all right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's a great point. You're absolutely right. And so, yeah, I, I just don't think we do spend a lot of time um, really contemplating that or discussing that or studying it. And, um, and I my point that I was trying to make earlier that I don't think I, I actually I said it out loud is, is my reference points are fiction. It's, it's other people, <laughs> other people telling their story, you know, making a story mm-hmm. that revolve around angels or demons and not really a, um, a biblical, um, not saying that they didn't do their Bible study when they wrote their books, but anyway, my references for those things are books of fiction. <laughs> It's funny. I don't even think about it. I mean, obviously they're fiction books, but I didn't even think about that until you said it that way. I was like, huh? Yeah. That's a clever point. All right. Uh, anything else on, on those verses? No, I, you know, it's just, um, I'll just say that our discussion tonight had the tone that, um, I suspect both of us were just ready for. Um, while this could be heavy, um, Anytime we talk about the Bible, it could be deep theological, and certainly this has this element, but I've just enjoyed kind of the, you know, God is God aspect of our conversation and not trying to make it too terribly complicated. Agreed. Agreed. All right, folks, I think that brings us to the end of this 169th episode of the Masterclass Podcast. We are Super grateful for your time and for your attention, and thank you for it very much. If you want to find the show notes, you can go to supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 169, and they will be there, or you can look in the podcast app of your choice. If you want to get in touch and say, hey, uh, offer up a suggestion, a correction, uh, hey, did you think about this, or have you considered, uh, that would be great. There's multiple ways to do that in the show notes. There's links to Twitter, there's uh, email, and there's a phone number. Choose your own adventure. And we will be back next time. Bye. See you.